ongoing prayers uh, for Terry's ministry. Continue to pray for him as he prepares to move to New South Wales. Pray that the Lord will provide him with suitable housing. He's looking for a place to rent here on the coast. And uh, let's pray that his ministry with us would be fruitful and that we would be able to serve God effectively together for the kingdom. Also, if you are joining us for the first time this morning, uh, we are commencing part two in a series of studies looking at the life of Peter. Peter was a fisherman who became a disciple, a follower of Jesus, who then became an apostle. Uh, And by this word apostle, and we'll see it through Acts, the disciples are no longer referred to as the disciples, they are now referred to as apostles. And the ministry of the apostle is that they have physically seen the resurrected Lord Jesus and they are to give witness to that resurrection. And the intention of this series is to give biblical grounding to the second half of our church's mission statement. Namely, that we are a church committed to knowing and sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. We established that knowing precedes sharing. Hence, we spent a whole term focusing on Peter's journey of knowing Jesus. A life-changing, dynamic relationship of knowing Jesus will result in sharing Jesus in order that others may too have their lives changed. Over the next several weeks, we will examine Peter in the early chapters of Acts, where we will see him as the bold leader and apostle God has called him to be. Post-resurrection, Peter is no longer wavering or at times wobbly in his faith. He has deeply changed. In Acts, we see a man who is confident and sure of himself. A man clearly focused on the mission Christ gave him. Not a self-made or a self-reliant leader, but rather one who has been deeply shaped by Christ and dependent on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to guide his ministry. After chapter 12, Peter fades into the background and Paul's ministry becomes the primary focus. Now, we won't be covering all of Acts 1 to 12, just certain parts that relate most specifically to Peter. Allow me to give a brief sketch of where we are going. Today, we are looking at chapter 1, verse 12 to 26, where Matthias is chosen to replace Judas and Peter's role in that. Next week, we will be looking at Pentecost and Peter's powerful speech in Acts 2, 1 to 41. After that, Fletch will share from Acts 3, 1 to 26, where Peter heals a lame beggar. I will then speak on Acts 4, 1 to 22, where Peter and John are on trial before the Sanhedrin. We will then take a one-week break for Pastor Terry's induction service on the 3rd of July. I will then come back and examine the Peter and Cornelius incident in Acts 10 to 11, and then we will conclude our series with Peter's miraculous escape from prison in Acts 12, 1 to 19. Study groups may choose to go deeper with this passage, these passages, or alternatively examine the surrounding passages that we will miss to get a more detailed feel for that first half of Acts 1 to 12. Now in a moment, Bob will come and read Acts 1, 
12 to 26. But before he does, just to give some context, Acts is written by Luke, and this book follows on from his gospel. So the first 11 verses are a little bit like a previously in Luke summary. Uh, As we read in verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. The following 10 verses recap Jesus' post-resurrection appearance and outline some important messages Jesus had left with his followers, in particular, the fact that they were to wait until the Holy Spirit came. And we also have Luke's great commission to go and to share the gospel to all nations. Jesus then ascends up to heaven and verse 12 picks up with the apostles returning to the upper room where they had been staying to wait for the Holy Spirit as Jesus had instructed them to. So Bob's going to now come and read from Acts 1, 12 to 26. Thanks, Bob. So Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26, we're reading about Matthias being chosen to replace Judas. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill they called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, The scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of bloom. For Peter, for it's for said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us this whole time the Lord Jesus was living amongst us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up with us. For one of these must become a witness of us for his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed... Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry 
which Judas left to go where he belongs. They cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Bob. Acts 1, 12 to 26 covers the period of time between the ascension of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit. During this time, the church is active in prayer and needs to find a replacement for Judas, who has betrayed Jesus. I'm going to address this message by looking at two scenes. The first scene is focused on prayer and the central role that prayer played in the early church. The second scene is to do with leadership and the replacement of Judas. In verses 12 to 14, the apostles return from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, which is about a kilometre. This is the maximum distance a Jew was allowed to walk on the Sabbath. So we can see that Luke adds or includes this detail here to indicate that the apostles are still committed to keeping Jewish practice. Whilst the text doesn't say as much, it's fairly safe to assume that the upstairs room is the same upper room where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and appeared to them after his resurrection. Luke lists all who gathered in the upper room, the 11 apostles, the same list he gives in Luke 6, 14 to 16, but without Judas, and this time the order has changed with prominence being given to Peter, James and John as the first apostles. In verse 14, Luke also mentions that women, including Mary, Jesus' mother, were there. We see here again that Luke is keeping in practice with his priority of giving women a prominent place in his writings. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall after the apostles had returned from Jesus' ascension. I wonder what the mood was like in that upper room. Can you imagine? I wonder how they would have been feeling. They had just witnessed the most incredible miracle. Jesus had risen and he had now ascended to heaven and given them a mission about which they were about to embark upon. Their lives had been turned upside down. Luke 24, 50 to 53, just at the very end of Luke's gospel, gives us insight as to what the mood was like, as to how the apostles were feeling. We read, When he had let them, led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. This is referring to Jesus. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. We see that the posture of their hearts is one of praise and joy. The disciples were filled with great joy and they couldn't help but praise and worship their Lord and Redeemer. And here's the reason for their joy. They were full of expectation. Jesus had given them the promise of sending his Holy Spirit They rushed to Jerusalem with joy because they were expectant that they were going to receive the Spirit of God. Verse 14 then tells us that they engaged in a prayer meeting. Can you imagine those first prayer meetings of the early church? No doubt they were alive 
with a sense of expectancy. The air was pregnant with the hope that Jesus had instilled in their hearts with his words about this comforter who was soon to descend. There would have been an amazing sense of God's about to do a whole new thing in their midst. When we come to God in a spirit of expectancy, great things can happen. Is this the way we approach God in prayer? With a sense of anticipation and expectancy that He is alive, that He hears our prayers, and that He is willing to act and to respond. Realizing who He is and what He can do and all that He has promised ought to alter the way our prayers are shaped. Hebrews 11.6 tell us what God is looking for when we come to Him in prayer. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Luke has a strong emphasis on prayer in both of his books, in Luke and in Acts. Prayer was something that he saw as most important. The book of Acts is jam-packed with prayer. The early Christians were characterized by prayer. As prayer had marked the life of Jesus, so too would it mark the lives of his followers. Now this might sound obvious, but the disciples actually believed that Jesus heard and answered their prayers. They believed that they were praying to the same Jesus who they had walked with on earth. Verse 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Other translations say they continued steadfastly or they were persevering or they were constantly engaged in. The word translated constantly is often connected with prayer. It suggests persistence over a period of time. It means being constantly diligent. In Acts 2, 42, we read that the church were devoted to prayer. What a change that had taken place in these apostles. Think back to the very different scene at the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus died. The disciples fell asleep. Jesus said to them, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? But these men were altogether different now. They had seen him die, rise from death and gloriously ascend into heaven. They had the promise of his Holy Spirit and so they persisted in prayer, ready to receive all that God had for them. How is your prayer life? Or perhaps in context, a more appropriate question would be, how do we think the prayer life of our church is? Do we pray as God's people with that same level of anticipation and expectancy? Could people say of us that we are devoted to prayer, that we are constantly reoccurring, reoccurringly meeting together for prayer? It's a challenging question, isn't it? When we struggle with motivation to pray, 
which is very natural for many of us, when weariness prevents us from holding steadfastly to the centrality of prayer, this passage in Acts 1 reminds us that perhaps it's time for a fresh revelation of Jesus in all of His glory as the ascended King of kings and Lord of lords, as the one who listens and hears and responds to our prayers that are offered up in faith. Another vitally important thing about prayer is that it creates unity. This has certainly been my experience. When I pray, I personally find it a lot easier to pray in community than by myself. Now, other people are the total opposite. They find praying in community really confronting and difficult. But prayer has always, the intention of prayer has always been that it would be practiced primarily in community. I mean, the model prayer is communal, right? Our Father in heaven. So Jesus offers the disciples a model of prayer, and it is a communal prayer. So what that says to me is that prayer is designed to be practiced primarily in community with other believers. And there's all kinds of reasons for this. One of the reasons is that prayer unifies. Prayer brings people together. When we talk to each other, there is greater chance for conflict and disunity. But when we collectively talk to God, there is greater chance for unity because we are petitioning the same God and He, by His Holy Spirit, unites our hearts. I have personally found, and I'm, I'm just speaking from my personal experience, that when I pray with brothers and sisters in Christ, it endears my heart to theirs. There is a sense of we're praying to the same God, the same Father. And prayer can be a vulnerable thing, can't it? When we open up our heart to the Lord, that's a vulnerable thing to do. And when we, when we choose to be vulnerable in front of others, that can have a unifying effect. And so we don't see in the early church the apostles scattered, having their own individualized quiet times, praying to God one-on-one. -on -one. No, they're gathering together and they're praying. I'm by no means suggesting that we oughtn't pray as individuals to God. Of course we should. But I think there's a lot to be learnt and a lot to be said for corporate prayer, for God's people gathering together. And in fact, that that's part of God's plan, that prayer unifies a church. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, for there the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. When the church comes together in dynamic communion, united in mind and heart, there the Lord bestows His blessing. And nowhere is this unity more called for or indeed more noticeable than in the area of our prayer. These early disciples could come together in such outstanding unity because they were not focusing on all the things that were different between them. God had given them an unshakable foundation of unity and they were focused on that. They focused on the fact that they were united by a common saviour. Prayer positions our hearts to be attuned to the will of God 
and it truly unites the church of Jesus Christ. In verses 15 to 26, the text takes a new direction, commencing with, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And this section deals with the replacement of Judas. This scene is an interesting little account of what could be considered the first church meeting. And no doubt jokes have been made about the first church meeting involving gambling. Why does Luke include this detail? Why not move straight from Ascension to Pentecost? Why not move... I mean, Matthias is never mentioned again, is he? He has no role in the book of Acts. Not once do we hear his name. We don't see him doing any miracles or even gathering with the other disciples. It is only this occasion that we hear of Matthias. Judas's betrayal of Jesus was a major failure of leadership that needed to be acknowledged and resolved. Luke doesn't skip over this detail for at least two reasons. First, it was vitally important that the apostles be restored to 12 before Pentecost, because 12 represented the restoration of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 is a significant biblical number. Secondly, Luke wants to provide a warts and all account of the history of the church. He does not idolise the church or idealise the church, but is transparent about its shortcomings and its failings. We see that Peter is clearly the leader. He has experienced the grace and forgiveness of God and is now serving Christ with confidence. In fact, I think it's really interesting that Peter, who denied Jesus three times, is the one who leads the meeting to have Judas, Christ's betrayer, replaced. Peter states the facts concerning Judas with great reserve. Perhaps he is aware that no one individual is entirely responsible for Jesus' death, but in one way or another, all people have been implicated. Nevertheless, scriptures needed to be fulfilled in this matter. Have you ever purchased a new electronic gadget of some description, brought it home, switched switched it on, only to scratch your head and think, now what? I wonder how the apostles were feeling at the loss of one of the twelve. There had always been twelve. What were they to do now? Where were they to find instructions for a situation such as this? Well, as Luke tells us, they had two sources for instruction, the Word of God the Jewish Bible, which we know as the Old Testament, and prayer. Peter views Judas's act of betrayal as a fulfilment of Scripture. That, however, doesn't take away from the pain of what happened. For as Peter says, he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Judas had been their friend. Until a few short weeks ago, he had been one of them, In every sense, he had journeyed with them and they had relationship with him. 
Peter draws attention to the divine authorship of Scripture in reference to the Holy Spirit speaking through David and quotes segments of Psalm 69.25 and Psalm 109 verse 8. These Psalms speak of a time when God's people and God's true king would be opposed by a traitor from within their midst, betrayed by one who had been a close friend and co-worker. Here they found hints and clues as to how to navigate their way through this new and unprecedented dilemma. The Psalms made it quite clear, it is not only right for someone to take the place of one who was gone, it is the proper and right thing to do. The person to take Judas's place must be someone who had been with them all along since the time of John's baptism right through and who was, along with the eleven, a witness to Jesus' resurrection. The reason for this was the primary apostolic task was to bear witness to the resurrected Jesus. They then cast lots and since they felt the need for direct divine guidance on the final choice between the two equally qualified people. The use of lots, however, comes after a prayer for God's guidance. Here again we see the importance of prayer. The prayer shows what we should be looking for most in a leader. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. The believers had found two people with suitable external qualifications, but those would be useless if the person's heart was not right. This is the last time we read about lots being cast in order to determine God's mind. It was an Old Testament practice. Proverbs 16.33 states, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This would have been the apostles' understanding. One of the advantages of casting lots was the impartiality of choice. However, after Pentecost, the church had the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them on the decisions that they would make, so they would never need to retreat to lots again. The passage then concludes rather abruptly with the lot falling to Matthias and him being added to the twelve. What can we take away from this morning's passage? We can see that prayer was central to the way that God's people organized and orientated themselves. We can see that when they came to a point of decision, they looked to the scriptures to guide them. But ultimately, again, they trusted in prayer and prayed that the Lord would lead them to the person whose heart was most pure or found right before the Lord. What we see is that the disciples were re-establishing themselves, sorry, the apostles were re-establishing themselves in order to ready themselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit. This momentous event that we have to wait until next Sunday to talk about. Let's pray. Lord, uh, it's exciting to be able to examine the early church. And today we've just had this look at this, this funny little section in Scripture where the apostles are in this transitionary moment between your ascension and your sending of the Spirit. And we see, Lord, that during that time of transition, prayer was just so incredibly important. Father, this 
infers that whenever we find ourselves in moments of significant transition, that the best place for us to be is on our knees. And so, Father, for my brothers and sisters this morning who perhaps find themselves in a state of flux or transition, I pray that you might encourage them to be prayerful. I pray that you would encourage all of us to be prayerful, but to be prayerful together because we know, Lord, that this unifies your people and that you desire for us to come together to earnestly seek you in prayer and to trust in your leading and your guidance. We thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit and that we no longer have to use things like lots to determine your heart. But we believe and trust that your Spirit leads and guides us. Father, we thank you for those within our community who have been given the task of leadership. We pray that for those of us who are involved in leading others, we might do it out of a servant's heart. We might do it not for personal gain or glory, but to see your kingdom advanced and to see the name of Jesus proclaimed and to see people built up and matured in the faith. Father, we're excited about the prospect of a new leader coming among us, Pastor Terry. And we as your people want to pray for him. We want to thank you that we believe your spirit has led us to him as he has been led to us. And we begin praying fervently, Lord, that this would be a fruitful partnership of gospel ministry, that we would work well together. Father, we ask your blessing upon him and upon us as we continue to serve you and as we continue to be a church that is full of love and grace and compassion and a church, Lord, that is devoted to knowing you and sharing you with others. Thank you so much for the opportunity this morning, Lord, to open your word and to hear you speak to us. Be with us now, Lord, as we leave this place. May we leave in a spirit of humility and thankfulness and remain ever dependent on your Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Amen.